Everyone, we're back with another Scaring is Sharing. It's the place where we share our scares with each other and you. Hello. Hello, as always. <laughs> it is I, Jeremy, the original Sasquatch Slim Rusk. And it is I, Brandy Joe, the flaming Scream Queen Plambeck. Hello. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> Good day, sir. <laughs> I... Off my cap to you. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been to the Renfest? A long time ago. I've never been. I don't like. Here's the thing: sci-fi and fantasy. I don't have much of a place in my soul for those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my soul's taken up. Like too much room is taken up by my love for horror that I don't have a partition for those. And it sort of falls not into the realm of sci-fi, but sort of fantasy. It feels kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Even though I don't know that there is a lot, but you know what I mean? That's sort of in history. History, I also <laughs> I don't have a partition. Like if I see one of those trivial pursuit pies and there's yeah. all the little pieces, like there's not a singular piece not for history. history science or sci-fi i and mean you're or or whatever you know yeah fantasy. You're, and you're talking about all the other things i love aside <laughs> from horror pretty much it's like listing all the other things i'm interested in other than horror so well i'm glad this podcast isn't about those things but just know and i know you do already that if you were mm-hmm. to assign me something that fits into one of those realms as well as it's some of adjacent, you know i'll i'll take it and i'll go into it because sometimes i'm sometimes i'm surprised sometimes you are but yeah, yeah. Ren, Ren Fair, i've not gone i want to say oh wait no now that i say that okay so like going to the Ren Fair proper i haven't done that in a long time like uh my mom has uh childhood friends that they live in uh pennsylvania now uh, okay but her friend will come back with her her uh uh, grown kids uh and they're like ren fair like adherence hardcore adherence so they'll go and my mom will go with them and i've gone with them a few times uh okay. and it is it, it's fun i'm not like into that sort of thing that level like i like history and i like fantasy but not to the extent that i will dress up in <laughs> the garb and do all that stuff but i'll go watch it and you get like a, you can buy a giant turkey leg and that's, that's what I like, like the most. main thing i know about it that's and I what feel i like, like most I feel like I could have at some point gotten into it if I know if I would have known I could go and get stoned and drunk. Uh-huh. I think I could have had a decent time. But now that I'm stone cold sober, mm-hmm. I feel like it would be a much tougher sell for me to enjoy myself. Yeah, I think you'd need the right company. But a few years ago, uh, it was when uh, Sarah and I had started dating. Uh, it was, I think, in the first year of that. So a few years ago. Uh, we went to the Phantoms Feast, which is done by the uh, Renaissance Fair in Michigan. Okay. Uh, and that was like pre-Halloween. It was in October. So okay. like the lead up to Halloween, but it was this like, it was a meal you went to. Like it was limited seating with people there. And they had a floor show with performers doing like Fun. music, music from like horror musicals. 
Okay. So they were doing like Rocky Horror stuff and Nightmare Before Christmas and Little Shop of Horrors, that kind of stuff. Fun. Uh, with, with a whole floor show and it was horror themed. Like a, Yeah. Uh, and I that could was do cool. that. That was cool. And most, like, I, I didn't know if the Run Fest, because the first time I ever heard of it was when I moved to Michigan. But that's a thing other places have, right? That isn't like yeah. a Michigan specific thing. Yeah, there's other stuff, but Michigan's got like one of the most famous ones I know okay. of. So. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe someday. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe the Phantom's Feast if they do it again. Because it's like a, it was like a multi-course meal with the floor show and it's all Halloween themed and got a Phantom of the Opera okay. thing going on. It was pretty cool. All right. So I have a quick little, it's uh, not necessarily a correction, but in our last episode, we talked about Marissa Tomei and the Toxic Avenger. And yeah. I found her in it. She's not a little girl. It's oh, okay. in the scene where Toxie, like sort of, I can't remember if he full on attacks the girl, but in the locker room, like yeah. later in the movie, it's about an hour in. And yeah. Marissa Tomei runs in and like screams and runs away. I'm going to oh. put it up on our Instagram. By the time you're listening to this, I will have already put it up on our Instagram, but I found her and it's it's fun she comes cool. in and screams she's not just like a, a random extra she's a featured extra if you will very cool screaming girl in locker room i don't think that she's credited as such but that's what i credit her as awesome <laughs> <laughs> and we have a terrorgram. oh this came right after we recorded our last episode which te teacher drew this seems to happen occasionally so i apologize know that we're never ignoring your your letters but we'll always get to them you, teacher, yeah, you just you just write them in so quick that we don't have time to address <laughs> recording schedule it comes later all right so teacher drew writes hey guys let me tell you how impossible imo it is to find a good horror movie podcast all i ask for is a little knowledge of the genre as well as some personality to keep the audience engaged it doesn't seem like a tall order but apparently it is all this to say i'm really glad i discovered scaring a sharing i appreciate your knowledge of the genre and obviously neither of you is lacking personality winky face so please keep doing what you do oh my god teacher drew that's so sweet and there's more we are currently out for summer break so i have more time to indulge my horror obsession i recently got hulu and was enthralled with castle rock have you seen it the first novel i remember reading as a kid was the shining and i have been a stephen king fan ever since I also connect with an RPG group, and last week we played a horror-based game called Betrayal at House on the Hill. It was twisted in a Clyde Barker way, and I loved it. Lastly, in addition to the Hollywood blockbusters, I also saw a couple of indie films that were great fun and should be on your radar. These were Werewolves Within and Vicious Fun. Have a great week. I give you guys an A+. Teacher Drew and Phoenix. Oh my God, Teacher Drew! Thank you. Such a cool person. So cool. Warms my heart. I hope you're having the best summer ever. So a few things to talk about from this, this message. And you too can write us at scaringasharing at gmail.com or slide into our DMs as Teacher Drew always does on Instagram. Teacher Drew talks about this RPG game, Betrayal at House on the Hill, which if you recall, many, many moons ago, I hung out with my friends Ben and Alex. Hi guys, I know you listen. Hello, hello, I love you. And we played an RPG game after we tried to play The Shining. It was betrayal at house on the hill which i could not for the life of me get into mm -hmm. i looked up i was like oh i wonder what this game is i looked it up i'm like oh that looks awfully similar to the one uh -huh. we played and sure. indeed it was so teacher drew i don't know if you made it back that far i don't remember when it was but i tried to play that game and i just couldn't do it yeah and as we as we know as far as rpgs i am a regular dungeons and dragons player 
Um, I have tried some other, like we did a Star Wars one once that just didn't take off for my group of friends I play with. I know like a lot of people are like crazy for this one Star Wars one, but we didn't have a great experience or much success keeping that game going. So we gave up on it and went back to D&D. And I do know that I haven't been able to play it, but my same gaming group of friends, they have done a few sessions of the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, uh, which of course is, you know, it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but based in like an HP Lovecraft inspired uh, world. Uh, and I, I've heard that one's pretty good. So, but I've not been able to play it yet. Well, I think that you need to play Betrayal at House on the Hill and decide if you like it. Because I would be curious if it's just a me thing, if I just can't get into these games. Like you build like this house, there's a bunch of like little coaster almost sort of squares mm -hmm. and you like build the house as you go. And then there are these cards and dice mm -hmm. and meters, your life sure. meter and your breath meter and your soul meter or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It surprises me because it seems like a lot of actor type people I, I meet enjoy the role playing games, but you're not and into them. I, you know, I thought I would. I mean, because for years I thought Dungeons and Dragons was a Satan was Satan's game based on what I had heard as a kid growing up yeah. in Wyoming. Yep. And then I'm like, oh, you're just a bunch of nerds. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, yeah, that's absolutely what it is. Which is great. I do love nerds. Um, love them, love them, love them. Uh, so yeah, I think you're going to have to play this and report back and let Teacher Drew know if you like them. Sure, absolutely. And Castle Rock, we've discussed it before. I've never watched it. I know I uh. should watch it because I am a Stephen King guy. Uh, so, but I've not gotten around to that one yet. Yes, and Teacher Drew, I love Castle Rock. The second season I thought was mind-blowingly good. Lizzie Kaplan, whom I've always loved, is absolutely incredible in it, and I just thought it was so, so good. But the first season was good, too. It, it's definitely a little head-scratching. It can be frustrating if you're not willing to just sort of give in to it, but if you do, I think that there are tons of rewards, and Sissy Spacek is, and Melanie Linsky. Those two are the, the ones I think of so so much when i think of that first season yeah and much like teacher drew uh the first stephen king i can remember too is reading the shining uh in high school and it freaking me out and then from there eventually i you know worked through a bunch more of his stuff so i remember this is a little tmi so i apologize to anyone out there and i'm not going to go into a great detail unless you know me really well but i remember being very young reading it and being very turned on by it oh. i think because stephen king has never shied from talking about like nudity and especially like the male form yeah like, being very descriptive of peens and things like that and i mean it should have been a sign early on because i just i didn't come out to myself till i was 18 but there are all these signs like looking back where i should have been able to kind of put it together but i've recently been talking about with some people and it's like there wasn't that representation there wasn't will and grace there weren't i didn't know gay people in my town like mm -hmm. it, i just didn't know until later i just thought that i was a normal teen boy how they say like oh lots of teen boys masturbate with each other that doesn't mean you're gay like i just thought that there was that i was just normal and once i found a girlfriend it would all be different yeah <laughs> but no i'm a, I'm a big gay wad but i'm very open-minded as well so 
Mm -hmm. I love the idea of sexual fluidity, and I like that it is more of a thing with the youths today because I don't like walls, and I don't like in any way, but I have these walls in my heart to science fiction and history, so I don't, what, yeah. who am I talking about? But when it comes to sexuality, I love the idea of being open and not being like, no, this is wrong, and this is right, and that sort of thing. It's also like, now that you mentioned that too, isn't it fascinating how like, I guess it's the, the standard heteronormativity of, you know, our macro culture we live mm -hmm. in, which is that anything that's a deviation, they do mental gymnastics to be like, no, that's, you're still a straight <laughs> like yes. white man. Like, even though you might have this deviation, they do everything to say that like, no, that's normal. That's normal. You're still... <laughs> yeah like just just trying to enforce that but we're watching this show called backyard bars which is like backyard wars it's sort of like a trading spaces inspired sort of thing where these um like two neighbors who are like best friends each like sort of create a bar in their backyard area and then like their friends vote on which one's the best and the winner gets like $10,000. It's really a lot of fun. They don't trade spaces, but it's that similar vibe. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in the end, they both get to keep this really kick-ass like bar lounge area in their backyard, which is so cool. But the host is, I, I believe to be a strike guy, but he's so open and like, he kissed this guy on this one episode. Just, he's like, man, I love you. And just like put a big old kiss on him, which I mean, you know, I, you probably should make sure it's okay with someone before you do that. Yeah, before you do that, you should double check first. But yeah, no matter who you are, no matter what yeah. sexuality, but still, I was just like, like I just love that. I love people who are just so open, and they, I love a good bromance movie. I love Super Bad in that way, like just mm -hmm. a movie where straight guys can tell each other they love each other, and there's no like, oh, no homo, but I love you. Like it's just yeah. like sweet and love. I don't know. I I, I find that fascinating. It's funny you say that too, because I relate to Super Bad very. Uh, strongly because I was like this was my like teenage experience was like that so I've had those um, I've always found it weird when straight men uh, are so like weird about being touchy-feely with their friends because I was like I've always been that way I grew up that way so I don't know you know how that gets ingrained in you tell me I'm gonna preface this in a, a way that I'm steering you towards a particular answer, but tell me please that when you went to the movies with one of your straight guy friends, when you were younger, you didn't sit a seat apart from each other at the movie theater. Oh no, never. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, we You've sat... seen this though, right? You've seen yeah. this happen. I've it still seen happens. It. I've seen it. Yeah. We're young men often. <laughs> I usually see it with young men and I'm sure there's yeah. some sort of insecurity or, you know, the stresses of being like, people are going to think be, we're on a date. Yeah. I have to be macho. No. Yeah. We would sit right next to each other. We'd share food sometimes, you know, like, Cute. yep. So I've never, I've never had those hangups really. Speaking of movies, Joe and I are going to a double feature today. We're going to yeah. see the conjuring three and then we've mapped it out. We're immediately going to see in the Heights afterwards. Like oh, cool. hopefully like I've, I've, scheduled in 25 minutes worth of trailers at yeah. the conjuring three and hoping that that's enough time because that will be just enough time to get to in the heights to see all the trailers yeah 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 but super excited for a double feature and i want to see both of them in the movie theater so i was like yep. we got to do this now because even though movies are still in the theaters like kong versus or godzilla godzilla, godzilla versus, versus kong, kong yeah like they're still in the theaters but like you can't wait too long yeah absolutely as things are starting to fly out so Oh, and one more, because Teacher Drew gave us so much stuff right there. Yeah, <laughs> so much, which I love. I really want to see Werewolves Within. And I, I really want to see Vicious Fun. There you go. Uh, but I wanted to shout out Werewolves Within, stars uh, Sam Richardson 
a uh, Planet Ant alumnus, if I yes. uh, recall, I believe, or he's had some kind of association there. So, and he's great. And he is the best friggin' character in the show Veep. Uh, mm. I binged that last year. Veep is a fantastic, if you're also like, I'm a little bit of a, uh, uh, like a, I don't, yeah, I don't even know what you want to call it. Insider politics, I guess, like the actual uh, machine of American politics. Like I love learning okay. about going down that rabbit hole of how the machine itself works. Uh, and Veep is definitely a show that like pulls back the curtain. Sure, surely satirical, uh, but pretty serious in what they did in that show. So I've tried to watch it and I could not get into it. Politics is another one of my blocks. I have lots yeah. of blocks. I'm discovering this <laughs> yeah, episode, yeah. like so many. I'm like, be yep. open-minded, kiss yep. straight people, whatever. And then I'm like, I don't like history. I don't like <laughs> politics. <laughs> but I tried to watch, especially because I love Anna Chlumsky. I think mm -hmm. that's how you pronounce her name. I went to my girl. I, I went on a date with a girl named Sammy Stroh when I was in seventh grade. And I love my girl. Love, love, love it, love it, love it. Read the novelization. I've seen it so many times. And I, I wanted to watch it and love it for her. And I just did not. And I think Julia Louis-Dreyfus is amazing. Oh, yeah. She's incredible. So maybe someday I'll give it another whirl. And maybe I'll find my way. Because everyone raves about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those shows. And then I watched it. I was like, how can this be so good? And I was like, well, we, me and Sarah got hooked on it. And then we binged it last year. So. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Well, have, thank you again, Teacher Drew. You are awesome. Um, uh, an elite VIP FOP. A VIP FOP. Mm -hmm. Have you watched anything, Jeremy? You just got back from a little vacation. But did you have like a TV and things like that? We did. I took my little fire stick I have, which okay. like since all TVs nowadays and all these devices are smart stuff, mm -hmm. my fire stick sits in a box like with the extra electronics because we don't need it at home. Uh, but whenever I go on trips and I know there's going to be a TV and Wi-Fi there, I always take it with me to be able to watch, you know, my stuff when need be. Um, Really, I didn't get to watch too much because our uh, four-year-old, almost five-year-old niece was on the trip with us. Uh, so TV time was often dominated by what she wanted to watch during the day, which I have now seen the Octonauts in the Ring of Fire like eight times over this trip, which is a children's cartoon on Netflix. Um, but I did get in. Uh, I did get in one, one movie on the trip of my own which was Nightmare on Elm Street 5, oh. Dream Child, because I'm trying to work through them on uh, HBO uh, on HBO Max right now. They're on there. I think they're leaving at the end of July. Uh, so I'm trying to work through the, uh, the later Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, which for some reason I've decided to do, because uh, I don't remember them very well. So that's why I rewatched four. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I watched five thinking, for some reason I kept thinking like I've not seen number five. Uh, but then I watched it and I'm like, oh, I have seen this. And for some reason, everything that happens in this movie, I thought happened in Freddy's dead. Uh, oh, no. Godspeed for that one. I mean, yeah, but you think now, five's bad and then you watch six. That's exactly it. And then I, then I was like, I guess I haven't seen six. I, that's, you know, a blind spot for me. I like, I don't think I've ever Oof. seen Freddy's dead. Uh, um, I know the video game scene in it and that's it. Was that right? not in five? Or is that in five? No, five had the the comic book sequel. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. That, yeah. that I kept thinking was in six, but yeah, I watched it and I'm like, oh, I have seen this. I just like blocked it out of my memory because it's not a very good movie. So and five has Greta, right? When he like feeds her herself. Yes. Although I think they cut that out. It just looks like he's feeding her from her stomach or something, but, 
or he's stabbing her in the stomach. But there is a deleted scene where he's like feeding her from her own her, stomach, like herself. But I think that they oh. sort of arrange that so it just looks like he's stabbing her in the stomach. Yeah, and that was one of the scenes too where I'm like, this makes absolutely no sense to me because she fell asleep at a fucking dinner with her family with yeah. like a ton of people around the table. And then she like gets up and is flailing because Freddie's and everyone just sits there and watches her till she dies. <laughs> As <laughs> opposed like, to what? like giving what? her the Heimlich. Yeah, like, like I was like, why doesn't anyone do the Heimlich or anything? They just stare like, ooh, and then she's dead. <laughs> and I was like, this is this is definitely where the movies jump the shark, like just really bad. And I used to love that little boy that plays her son. I can't remember his name, but he was in a, a handful of movies in like yep. the late 90s. And I just like, he was one, him, Fred Savage, and there was another one um, that I just was like, I want to be their best friends. I think I had like little boy crushes on them when I was a little boy, so it was okay. Yeah, but yeah. I think like looking back again, thinking of like my childhood, I think I was like, like, Grasping little, for something. Yeah. Like a little crush on him. But yeah. but yeah, I used to like follow that kid's like every movie he did. I don't remember his name, but, the, but yeah. The, the scene at the end, though, when he becomes like Freddy possessed or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that is some of the worst. Sorry, whatever your name is, all apologies. That's some of the worst <laughs> child acting I've ever seen. Because uh, he does the whole like he's trying to imitate Freddy's voice. And he's like, hey, Freddy. And like, kid <laughs> with the makeup on it. It's like, this is laughably bad. Yeah, so. I tried to rewatch it after I rewatched three and four and loved four so much. And I was just like, oh, God, I love Alice. But yeah, ugh, yeah. it is not good. That's and her boyfriend like turns into a motorcycle, right? Like the motorcycle yeah. like becomes him. He turns yeah. into a little Tetsuo. Yeah. Have you you didn't watch the third Fear Street yet? Oh, oh and I did that. Sorry. Okay. We watched, we watched the third Fear Street when we got home last night. Okay. Because uh, I hadn't it, watched two when you had watched it the last time, but I've since watched two and three. Uh, and I think three is the weakest of all. See, I think two is say. the weakest. Yeah. yeah I, I, I liked I it, know. but I just wanted more. I was fine with it not being a straight up slasher kind of like a, I thought it was going to be. Like there still is a lot of like the witch stuff and there is a little yeah. bit of slashery. It just isn't as much of the plot as I thought it might be. Yeah. I thought it was kind of weird that three, the like not, well, I guess the bulk of it was, but like a shockingly small amount of the movie was actually set in the 1666. And then Which also, I was so okay with. Yeah. But at the end of it, I was like, you know, these probably could have been recut to be just two movies that like jumped around yeah. in time. I think that was like, they could have cut some of the filler of 78, uh, which biggest... felt like a lot of it felt like filler. And then uh, yeah, they could have cut these into like two movies. My biggest issue was I didn't like the girlfriend. Like, I liked the lead gal. She was on the show called Trinkets on Netflix, and I really have always thought she's a lot of fun. Um, but I'm not a big fan of her girlfriend. I think mm -hmm. she is very boring. I think Sam is her name. Mm -hmm. or samantha i just find her boring whereas i really loved the girl who played kate which was like the cheerleader loved her mm -hmm. grew to love her um but yeah i i liked the third one i loved the end of the third one i loved that last chunk so i yeah, was when totally it, when okay it jumped with that. back to like the yeah. continuation of the first movie i was like i was good with that uh I was surprised because in my head, I thought it was 1966. Like, I thought we went back and told the story of Ruby in the third one. Yeah. And it makes so much more sense to go to 1666. And also you have the 666 in there. Yeah. Um, but I still really enjoyed them as like a trilogy. I thought it was yeah, a yeah, lot of fun. Yeah, the whole series was great. Overall, I think I would give like the, the series as a whole, like four stars, you know, three and a half, four stars up there. So. Yeah. 
I, I was thinking the same thing. I was sort of leaning towards three and a half, but I could be swayed towards a four. Yeah. Um, it, but I would rank them one, three, two, as much as I wanted to like two more. But you're more a one, two, three. Yeah, I think I'm more of a one, two, three, but okay. I might have to rewatch them all again. It's like, and retroactively now, after seeing two and three, I love the first one even more. Because I'm like, I think this is now even better than I thought it was compared to the next couple where it's like, it's it's hard to keep up steam through a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, they were both, I mean, all three, like right around two hours. It's like, if you're doing three of them, let them be an hour and a half. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm waiting to see, will they do a mega cut and cut them all together in some, uh, I'm sure you could do some fun stuff, maybe drop a little bit here or there. And yeah. And I'm curious, I'm sure that I think that they've done fairly well. I'm curious to see if they'll do more fear street ones and go off of the, the witch storyline. Yeah. And just do more since there's so many books. I've seen on some of my horror groups, they've people have posted different. I've seen it done different ways, but like three books, and they're like, these are the books that the movies are essentially based on, although certain things are different. Yeah. And I don't know if that's really true. I mean, I haven't read any of them. I think friend of the podcast, Tess Hannah, has read all of them repeatedly. So please, Tess, I would love for you to weigh in on these things. Tell us about the books, which ones are your favorites, how you felt about the movies. I would love your knowledge because I saw. Her comment on one of the posts, and I think she said she read them repeatedly. So that'd be good. Good to know. Good to know. Because it's like this one was a little different. I had figured they must have used actual books uh, uh, for the plots of these. Because you go back to the Goosebumps movie uh, when they did that. Also, of course, based on R.L. Stein. Uh, and the goose that Goosebumps movie was not really based on any particular book. They just took characters like from the entire series and threw them together into one big uh story so okay was it fun i liked that one i'm a fan of the uh goosebumps movie with it's more Jack silly Black. and pg-13 right Ab absolutely it's geared towards family uh it, it felt like the only thing i could compare it to is maybe like the monster squad but make that make it even more family friendly because you go back and rewatch the monster squad and you're like yeah this is a little rough you know it's a little old <laughs> for like the kid target audience but uh, and I, I did love the Monster Squad. I remember, I think it was in In Search of Darkness one or two, and they talk a lot about like the very frequent homophobia in it. Yeah. Which I don't recall. I mean, I was so young and it wasn't really on my radar, but I wanted to go back and rewatch it. But that gives me some pause, although I don't want to like dismiss it as, oh, well, the 80s, but there's, you know. Yeah, there's a, a couple of that. like I yeah, I freaking love the Monster Squad as a kid and I've like always continued to love it as a cult favorite. But yeah, nowadays when I rewatch it, I there is a they're kind of front loaded. It, it at least all happens like in the very beginning of the movie. Okay. There's like a couple uh, there, there's a very obvious, you know, moment in there uh, where, you know, they drop the, the F word. Um, okay. And I remember it shocking me as a kid. I do remember that because I was like, really? can they say that? Like, because I knew that as like something you shouldn't say. Um, but it, it is said by a bully. So at least he gets his come up and it's like, right okay, after. well, that's good. Like, because it's in a scene where immediately he becomes, you know, he gets his just desserts after using that. So that's that's one consolation there. But there are moments throughout where you're like, yeah, there's a strain of homophobia in here. And that's. Yeah. Very, it's a little present where you're like, ah, oh, that detracts from the overall greatness mm -hmm. in looking at it with modern eyes and ears. 
I have heard Fear Street um, affectionately called Queer Street because of how gay it is, <laughs> which I really appreciate because oh. it, okay. it, it is. And I, I mean, I'm yeah. all for more gay characters in horror, especially if they aren't just killed off right away. Like in the same way of diversity, I don't want to see the black person killed off right away. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want all the diversity. I want there to be leads of all colors and sexualities and ages Absolutely. like you don't we don't just need kids you know we need some 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 older folks being the final the final gals as well yeah <laughs> the, the final gals that should be a thing yeah just like uh jamie lee curtis now in yep that's the true new halloween's yep and but speaking of i have heard that the lead in the chucky tv series is a a, a gay youth which i'm really hoping that oh, is okay. the case did you watch the teaser no, I missed that one. I, saw I that did it was watch out, it because it's like it yet. it's like twenty seconds long. I think I'm okay. all for a teaser, and I think I will watch teasers based on my previous conversation about this. Like, because twenty seconds is not going to re- spoil anything. I'm no. not going to see too much, so yeah. I'm all for that. It's super short. I cannot wait to watch it. It just looks like a ton of fun, and I I just think it's going to rock. Awesome. Um, I also last night tried to watch this movie called Separation, which mm. has um, Meryl Streep's daughter, Mamie or Mammy, something or another. Mm, okay. And um, Brian Cox is in it. It's I would describe it as sort of the Babadook meets Kramer versus Kramer, uh-huh. but it's horrible. Oh. There's some like effects in it that sort of remind me of, there's like contortionists, but I think it's all visual effects as opposed to real contortion like there is um the the last installment of channel zero is called dream door mm-hmm. and there's a contortionist in it that creates some of the creepiest effects ever there's this monster in it that is so scary and it's this actual guy doing these things with his body that just creep you the fuck out. And mm-hmm. when you can watch something and know it's like a visual effect, kind of like The Conjuring 2, which you haven't seen, there's a an mm-hmm. aspect of that, a villain in it that does some weird things, but you just know it's a visual effect. So it's not very scary. Yeah. Just like it's so hard to, when you know something's a visual effect. It's different if it, it blurs that line and you can't tell. Yeah. But when you can just watch something and know, it's like, mm, it's not it very looks scary. Like, it looks like a cartoon. Yeah. Like, yep. Like one of those scenes in like Mary Poppins where like Dick Van Dyke is dancing with like a penguin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've talked about this too. It's like, I think we're just, our brains are trained that way that we recognize like CGI or effects done that way as like very fake as opposed mm-hmm. to like when there was a physical like costume in front of the camera, then you're like, oh, that, I buy that more. And nowadays kids have like flipped where they're like, that's just a costume. And like these computer animated graphics are so good. And our brains are not, we didn't grow up on it. So our brains have more trouble with it. Yeah. So I don't recommend separation. I turn it off halfway through. I was bored out of my gourd Mm. and I was just, and it's a universal movie. Like I thought it was going to be one of these like tiny little indie films, but it starts and it's the universal logo. And I'm like, wait, what? So like, it's slick looking, it's produced well, but it's just was boring as fuck. Oh, wow. So, uh, yep. Nope. Sorry. Throw it on the slash heap. That's right. Throw (laughs) it on the slash heap. Well, shall we assign our flicks to each other, Jeremy? I think so. Let's do it. Give me something I haven't seen before. I am going first this time. And this has been a long time coming now. My brother has been bugging me 
to get this on the show. Friend of the podcast, Ethan, has written in and talked about Ethan. it. Ethan! And that is going to be the flick Dog Soldiers. Oh, fun. So I know there's werewolves. Mm-hmm. And I imagine they're soldiers. And they come together to fight some sort of war. I have no idea. Um, but I imagine there's some sort of army. It may be more metaphorical than literal. I I imagine them to be somewhere cold in my mind, like Alaska or something. Do you know, I just learned Juno. I always thought it was spelled J-U-N-O. That's how bad I am with things like geography. It's not. It's like J-U-N-E-A-U. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Weird, I should right? know that. I'm so geography, history. That's one more block I have. Is geography. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. So yeah. So there's somewhere cold. I think it's more of like a metaphorical army. I, I feel like maybe the werewolves. Like there's a nature of them being good. It's not like all werewolves are bad. Maybe a clashing of werewolves. Like the good werewolves versus the bad werewolves. I imagine more male leads than female leads. Like I think the protagonist will be a male, and the main villain will be a male, and that the women aren't as much of a story, a part of the story. And there's, yeah, a clashing of these werewolf families or whether they're like actual families or like made families and sort of maybe, I guess, territorialness like like animals are and dogs in particular. Um, And I think good will prevail. I, I think it's supposed to be very good. I've heard always very good things about it, but my... Once again, block of werewolves. God, mm-hmm. I envision myself to be so open-minded, but I'm realizing this episode, I am far from it. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on you. I'm working on you. You are. Like, so that's I what love, I got. I love werewolves, and I'm always on the lookout for a good werewolf movie, but as we discussed, there just aren't that many. Uh, and that's how this one came up, because I remember Ethan saying he recalled it being very good. Like I said, my brother loves this movie. He's a big fan. I probably, this will be fun, because I remember seeing this movie a bunch of times on TV when it first came out. Okay. Um, Cause uh, you know, spoilers guys in the United States, this was released as a straight to cable movie, but uh, I remember watching it a bunch when it was on TV and enjoying it. And that was probably when I was in like high school. Okay. And then I think I saw it again. It's been five to 10 years since the last time I watched this. Okay. Uh, and I don't exactly remember all the details, the gory details of it. So this will be a fun rewatch for me to see how I feel this time watching it. Okay. Uh, but I remembered enjoying it the last time I saw it years ago. So let's see. Uh, and I'm also kind of excited randomly while I was on vacation. One thing I would do is when I got a moment was check out some YouTube videos <laughs> to watch in my free time. Uh, and this, there is a YouTube channel called, he calls it Good Bad Flicks. Okay. Uh, and it focuses on like horror and especially like cult horror Mm -hmm. and what we would call B movies. Uh, And he did a video that was the history of the making and release of this movie. Okay. Uh, So I learned some cool stuff. So we're going to get to talk about that after we watch and come back. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I am going to assign you, I'm going back before your movie that you assigned me, Mm. which is an unusual thing for us. Mm. And I'm going to give you Ms. 45. Ooh, yeah. I know that this is an older flick. I want to say 70s, like exploitation, maybe. Uh, I don't know how you say his name. Abel, Abel Ferreira, I think, is the director. Uh, You're good. Yeah, uh, Bad Lieutenant himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've seen a couple of his flicks. I know he's, like, renowned for his grittiness. Like, I, 
I've seen Bad Lieutenant, the original, the not not the Nicolas Cage, Werner Herzog one, but the uh, the original Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. Mm-hmm. Seen that. Uh, that's an okay movie. I, I know it's like some people really revere it. And I'm like, that wasn't too bad. And I've seen, I don't know if I've seen the whole thing, but I've seen bits of the Driller Killer, his first movie. Okay. Like his low budget slasher, you know, <laughs> flick he did where a guy, uh, spoilers, kills people with a drill. What? Uh, what? Um, but yeah, I know this one's from early in his career. I think if I remember, what do I know about? I've seen this. I've seen the name come up in relation to last, house on the left and i spit on your grave so i believe it's a rape revenge story where i think a woman is assaulted uh but then she takes justice into her own hands the titular 45 i think and starts shooting some some street thugs i know this is one of those new york kind of taxi driver style gritty old new york so that's it yep i think she gets a gun and she starts blowing some (laughs) motherfuckers away uh and as always hilarity ensues (laughs) with this one more than any other (laughs) yeah and i'm excited to watch this because i love a good sleazy you know old style 70s new york exploitation there's something about them i know they're usually trashy and just scummy kind of movies but i love watching those once in a while okay this this will be good to see one of those cool yeah awesome We'll be back in a moment to talk about them. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back. Don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Uh, Here we are, guys. We've returned. Back from the dead. Back. Eat your brains. <laughs> brains. More brains. Send more cops. Wait, is that the line? <laughs> yeah. Uh, send more paramedics and then oh. send more cops comes later. Uh, well, anyway, guys, we're back to talk about dog soldiers, I believe it is. First That's off. first off, yeah. First off, the only movie with army men fighting werewolves. And it does have a dog. There is a dog, a literal dog. There is a literal dog in there. So uh, I guess I'll fire this off by uh, reading the letterbox for y'all. Okay, that Uh, sounds good. That sounds good. Dog Soldiers, directed by Neil Marshall, a name people may have heard of. Uh, I love the tagline. Six men, full moon, no chance. (laughs) That's fun. And the description is a squad of British soldiers on training in the lonesome Scottish wilderness find a wounded special forces captain and the remains of his team. As they encounter zoologist Megan, it turns out that werewolves are active in the region. They have to prepare for some action as there will be a full moon tonight. Okay. That's it. Let's do it. I was pleasantly surprised by this film. And you know what? Here's the thing. I started it last night and I made it about 30 minutes in and I was kind of exhausted by it. And I just was like, I'm going to go to bed. There were too many people. I wasn't exactly sure what the fuck was happening. Like I knew they were doing some sort of training thing, whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Ugh, this is just not my speed. So I came back to it today and like, From the point I left off yesterday, which is where the gal picks them up, from that point on, it 100% got me hooked. But prior to that, there's just too much going on. Like, I just didn't know who was who, and I didn't care about them. But then, like, she picks them up, and everything changes. I kind of thought you would react that way, too, because... 
I feel like by design, that has to be by design a little bit that that's how the movie is where you're introduced to all these army guys and army cliche stuff. Uh, and you're like, and there's a million of them and I don't remember anybody's name. And then you realize, oh, they're all just plot devices for like action scenes to happen later. Like spoilers, guys, they all just get killed. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> you're not supposed to like get attached to most of them until, except for, you know, the main guy and the Sarge, like that's the only two to care about because they're the only ones that actually have any character development. And, and the zoologist, she's great. I I would venture to say though, that th- you do care like once they get to that house, you start to get. Well, who they you get are. a little bit. Yeah, they give you just enough to then start killing them, and you're like, no, yes. don't kill them all. But really, prior to that, like I just was like, ugh, I ugh, is how I felt. I just was mm-hmm. not into it, and so I was so surprised to then today pick it back up and to just find it so captivating. Yeah. And I'm really surprised that there isn't a sequel. I was just, I think there's like still talk. Like in 2020, I saw some article pop up that said like, it's still possible. I'm just shocked because it's so good. It's Mm -hmm. so well done. And the effects for being like 20 years old are still so good. Yeah, I... um. Uh, I love their commitment to practical effects, like in some making of stuff of this I watched. This was on like the dawn, the cusp of CGI taking over when they made this movie, you know, late 90s, early 2000s is when they were working on it. Uh, And they were they were very much like we're not going to do CGI. We want to build the actual werewolves. Um, they had a definite vision for how the werewolves were going to look, which I, I think these are pretty unique werewolves Uh, as far as werewolf movies go. Yeah. They, they, they are professional dancers played all of them. Oh, Uh, that's how they got the the weird movement down and they're on stilts. So that makes sense. Cause I loved that they, their bottom halves were tall and skinny. Mm -hmm. Like, I just love that. It wasn't just a person in like a wolf costume. Like it was, but had this been done today for the first time, it would a hundred percent they'd be CGI. Yeah, CGI monsters, and it, it, it's so much cooler and stranger because they have these like unnatural movements when they're like when they come in the house and they're like holding on to the rafters to like balance themselves and stuff. You're it, it's really surreal looking. And I'm a hundred percent adopting it's totally bone because I love that. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what this means, but I like the sound of it. Mm-hmm. And then later they fi- she's finally is like, what does this mean? And they're like, bone bollocks, not very good. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this this movie is totally not bone, but I love that phrase. And this movie is totally British. <laughs> it is, and such a great use. Of- Again, the thing that I love, and it's funny because I know teacher Drew said when he wrote in about the burbs, like humor and horror are like a tricky slope for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we've talked about for me, I really love when there's that perfect blend of them. And here I found that to be the case. Like, I think the humor is so like really helps to advance the characterizations and how you feel for people. And mm-hmm. there's just some great one-liners, but it doesn't ever feel like it's trying to be too clever. Like, look how funny we're going to be. It just feels natural. And it just really drives the, the narrative forward and makes you care for these guys so much. I loved them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Spoon is great. I love his scene. Uh, where he decides he's going to box the werewolf. Oh, he- my God. It was so funny. I was 
legit LOLing. LOLing. And he just goes ape shit. It's like it rivals the scene. And, you know, uh, I immediately think of Friday the 13th, part eight, where the guy starts punching Jason when they're on the rooftop. And you're like, I like that. I, I, that's a cliche, I guess. I hate in a lot of horror movies is the victim just goes down without a fight. They just get mm-hmm. killed or overwhelmed by the monster and just seem to just totally give up. And it's like, I think most people would be going nuts at this point, like doing whatever you could, if, you know, regardless of how futile it was, you'd be going ape shit on this thing that's about to kill you. And I loved that there was some decent gore because you prefaced this by saying it was like, it went direct to cable here or something. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Like where USA sci-fi it, um, it, when they tried to get it distributed in the U S the only taker they found to give them any money was the sci-fi channel. Uh, so they, they bought it up and then turned it into a sci-fi channel original. Uh, I can remember the commercials in my head because they played this like ad nauseum because it was really popular, you know, late night cable movie, but yeah, not a lot was cut from what I remember. I'm sure a little bit of the gore was cut out, but, uh, on TV, but yeah, there's quite a bit in this movie. Yeah. I loved when, like he turns on the car and those lights hit that werewolf and the werewolf just like bites into that guy's neck and then just rips <laughs> his head off and the blood Throws squirts. The I the thought car. the blood was very effective. It mm-hmm. felt realistic. Like it felt yeah. like if someone's head literally got tore off, there would be that giant spray of blood, but it didn't feel like evil dead over the top kind of blood. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, but it felt very authentic. And I, lo- I was like, this is nice and bloody without being like, look how bloody we're going to be. It just yeah. was like a perfect amount. And it, it was almost more gratuitous. Uh, I was reading online that, like, again, speaking just speaking of Spoon's death, uh, he was going to get torn in half by the werewolf. Like, that's what they wanted to do. Uh, but they decided that at that point, like people that read the script and stuff, everybody came to love. That was a fan favorite character. Like everybody loved the character of Spoon. So they decided that was too much for a character that people were really connecting with. They're like, we can't give him this gratuitous death. It'll just be too painful. And uh, the scene where... Uh, but didn't he? Yeah, like they came in and there was just guts everywhere. Oh, there's guts everywhere. But oh, you know, okay. they were going to show him get like ripped in half. They were, okay. they were planning a big special effects scene and they're like, that's too much. We're not going to show it. him like suffer that way. And then there was uh, the character that maybe it's because it's how grainy and like gritty the movie looks like the way, because it was filmed on 16 millimeter, which, you know, is not like a lot of movies are done 35, which is the, like big professional grade 16 was cheaper. So they shot it on 16 millimeters. So it looks real gritty, this movie. Uh, but uh, when the dog is pulling on the guy's bandages, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. originally it was going to be his guts. Oh, I I kept thinking his guts were going to fall out all over the And place. that's like, like, and then they realized people watching the scene anyway already thought it was his guts or that's what was going to happen. So they were glad they didn't go like fully gratuitous where the dog was going to pull his guts out. But Yeah, I think my two favorite one-liners are when Spoon said... I hope I give you the shits. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. And then I loved, I think that it was um, Coop who said, we're going to knock seven colors of shit out of these fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, seven colors of shit? Yeah. Wow, that is a, a visual for the ages. It's just some fun dialogue. And, and the, the scene where uh, the Sarge is telling the story of when he was in Iraq uh, and the guy got blown up by the mine. Uh, oh, and I'm like, 
yeah, and all that's left of his is his butt cheek or whatever with the tattoo. But uh, that is very Jaws like when they're telling uh, when uh, Captain Quint is telling the story of the being on the USS Indianapolis when the sharks eat all the sailors that jumped overboard. I was like, yeah, that's very. This has to be reminiscent to Spielberg. I know Spielberg was like an influence on these guys making this movie, because uh-huh. um, they said that the the writer and the director and the cinematographer, the team that made this movie, uh, apparently they were all huge fans of Indiana Jones, and they wanted to make like their own kind of adventure film like that. So, and I didn't really put it together until afterwards that Neil Marshall directed it. Like, I don't think I looked or anything like that, and I don't remember it being in the beginning. If it was, I just totally missed it in the opening credits. Were there opening credits? Mm. I don't, I don't think, think there, there were. are. It just, no, I, I think, think there it just was says a, dog soldiers. Yeah, there was the right? cold open and then it goes dog yeah. soldiers. Yeah. So I don't think I put that together, but it 100% is reminiscent of the descent, but the descent doesn't have any of the fun that this does. But like the creatures and those sorts of um, sequences definitely have a similar vibe, which is what I liked about the descent. I loved all the the monster sequences, but I just didn't care for the girls and I didn't care for the dialogue. And it's so interesting because here, that's what I loved the most about it as well as those great sequences. Cause there were just like probably three or four, like amazing action horror sequences that were just get your like all riled up. And like, there's just so fun. And apparently too, I I was reading that this movie became very popular with British soldiers. Uh, actually, like the, the rentals or whatever, however they distribute it to deployed, uh, you know, troops around the world. Like this movie was like number one for a minute for British units out, you know, in the world because apparently a lot of the army, like the gunplay and the tactics and stuff going on in this movie is very legit. It's pretty accurate to like actual uh, soldier training and what they would do and all that. Um, there, there's a, in fact the scene where. Um, they're in the wardrobe together, Sergeant and Cooper, and he's he shoots out the floor and he tells them to cover your ears and open your mouth, mind your toes. Yeah. Uh, and all of that's like, oh, okay, that, that's like an actual thing you would want to do because if you're shooting a gun in an enclosed space, uh, you, you stand there opening your mouth, covering your ears is to stop your eardrums from rupturing because oh. if you shoot it off, you know, the change in pressure and the, the sound is, uh, it's not a good idea. to shoot a gun in a little tight area like that so and going back into the closet is never a good idea when they went in there i'm like don't go into the closet guys metaphorically metaphorically speaking um (laughs) but i do yeah just just the way they use the house too they're stuck in as just a prop constantly where they're where he's mashing a hole into the bathroom through the drywall to climb in uh, to get to where Sarge is, you know, it's just uh, some of this is almost Three Stooges level stuff. And someone at one point sort of mentioned like Goldilocks. They didn't say Goldilocks, yeah. but they sort of talked about Goldilocks. And I was like, oh, this movie kind of is like, because uh, then there's like the three main werewolves that come into the house, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I just thought, like, what a clever way to actually, if if that was sort of the idea behind it, like, let's do something like this as opposed to like how the ice cream man tried to shove it down our throats that it was the, um, the Pied Piper. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was just like, Oh my God, I get it. And also this isn't very good. And here I'm like, Oh, what a clever way to do Goldilocks, which is like bears, but here we're wolves. Uh-huh. And, and just, I just thought it was kind of fun if that indeed was a parallel or maybe it was just something they brought up at one point. 
But I definitely liked it. I loved that scene at the end where like the knife was in his teeth. Like mm. that was just oh, yeah. so cool. So cre- Oh yeah. And I like- just love how they brought that stuff back from that opening sequence, like that letter opener, whatever that gift was that yeah. that girl got him. Silver like, I letter thought, opener. Why are we making a point of this? And then I s- just forgot about it as opposed to it being like, like they didn't keep showing us to be like, remember that? Yep. But like in the beginning, they made a point. So when it came up later, you remembered it. But, and then also the, the dog, like I'm glad the dog came back around again and everything like that. Um. Mm-hmm. So I have to talk a little spoilers. So if you've not seen this movie, cover your ears, fast forward a few minutes, whatever. So I was sure that Megan was going to have a, a greater story to her. Like I, I was oh, pretty yeah. positive, positive that that was going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'm not, I'm unclear on a few things. Like why didn't she turn into a werewolf right away? Why did, okay. Oh, no. Okay. no idea. That's okay. what I thought rewatching it this time too. It's like, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like you kind of see the twist coming when she's like, I'm a werewolf too. And you're like, well, I guess, but like, why, why did she wait all that time and help them? Yeah. And so she, t- and like, she helped shoot other werewolves and stuff. Like, I don't even know if she helped shoot them, but she mm-hmm. definitely didn't try to stop them. And if they're her family, why would she let them do that? Yeah. She was definitely complicit. In the attack on the world. Yeah, so like I, the twist was a little weird. Although I saw it coming, and yeah. I appreciated that. Then they just got to like shoot her and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it made sense because I was like, "Whose house are they in?" But then I, so there were some decent qualities about it, but it also was a little head scratching. Like I didn't quite get it, mm-hmm. but I liked her, and I also thought they really need to like either remake this or do a sequel. I hope they just do a sequel because there needs to be a little diversity in there because there's absolutely none. There's just yeah. a bunch of white guys and one girl. And yeah. I'm like, okay, we need some diversity all up in this bitch. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. That would be fun to like redo this and play with the dynamics, locate. You could do so much with this concept. So much. And also like there obviously were so many of them on this island, this area where they were, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Like they could definitely go back there. It could be 20 years later. It's like, almost a 20 year anniversary it's like Mm -hmm. let's please do it let's make it a 20 dog soldiers 2.0 yep uh absolutely absolutely and i love the stinger speaking of the humor and the horror i love that like stinger at the end where it shows the newspaper the tabloid yes uh, cover where it's the soccer score or the football game uh score and then as the little the lesser story is the werewolves killed my platoon Ate my platoon. Ate my platoon. Perfect. <laughs> I loved that. Perfect. I loved all those pictures at the end. I just thought that was such a nice touch of the guys like here so that there's evidence and gave him that film, mm-hmm. which like I wasn't even thinking that was going to happen. I just saw the girl with the camera a few times and yep. I was just like, oh, that's so clever. And then I love that credit sequence because they felt like authentic pictures that mm-hmm. they like took on the set when they were like doing some of the scenes and stuff. It was just so cool absolutely and again just like a shift from me last night being bored and sort of annoyed with it uh-huh. and then just that like last hour just a hundred percent did a 180 and i i loved that Absol- it's a whole like um case for why you shouldn't give up on something and i only finished it because i had to <laughs> yeah exactly and if you didn't have to you would have missed so much awesomeness that just i would have like loaded at the end because the movie it gets exponentially better. This is one of those movies where it just keeps getting better as it goes, which is like, that's how you build momentum. Yep. That's how you do it, bitch. 
it's, it's, it's a rough start, especially with just an innocent dog getting killed in the beginning. Like yeah. watching that again, I'm like, I hate this scene. And I, I understand too that I think that concept where they, they're like, no, kill the dog and you get to be part of our black ops unit. Like that idea comes from stories about, I think like Russian special forces or something like that, where like, I don't think there's anything to say that this ever actually happened, but the myth was that soldiers in like training for like Russian special forces had to raise a dog like through their basic training. And at the end you have to kill the dog to prove oh. like, to prove you have no, you know, attachment or hesitation to kill like when they need you to. But I'm pretty sure that's just like a military urban legend. Cause it's, I read a, uh, some guy wrote a thing online that was like, Hey, I just wanted to point out that like, no one would ever kill a military dog like that because like you have to look at the dog as a piece of valuable like equipment. Like you spent all that time training it and put a lot of like money and time and effort into that. Uh, they would probably treat that animal better than the soldiers because uh, it's a valuable asset now that you've trained it and done all this with it. So they wouldn't just kill it. Uh, and I was like, well, that's good to know that this was, that was drama <laughs> for the movie. That is good to know. And speaking of urban legends, they talked about eyebrows and the meeting in the middle or whatever for werewolves. Is that a thing? I don't remember. Yes, it, yeah, that. it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's from like actual like folklore. So if you meet someone with a unibrow, is are you supposed they, to think that's a, a werewolf? They're a werewolf. Yep. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, that comes from like <laughs> that comes from like really old European like folklore. Usually, oh, I'd never heard that. A lot of it was just pretty much like if you're an abnormally hairy person like you're you're a werewolf is like what they would have thought of you like clearly you're an animal of some kind interesting okay i mean my plot was not really anywhere quite on <laughs> i mean i did say there's gonna be more male leads and there definitely yeah. were and I, I i said there would be some good and some bad werewolves that's not really true like they're they were all pretty bad. much all, they're all bad once they're a werewolf they're they're bad so really my plot was not great it was not very spot on at any rate so mm. that's that's that that's that man um so i guess let's get to it out of five silver letter openers uh how many do you give it i'm gonna give it four and a half wow what are you gonna give it uh i'm giving it just a straight four okay you went even higher than me I did just because it really won me over. I really just like loved it. And the more we talked about, it, I loved it. I did raise it a half point from what I thought it was going to, but Excellent. I'm okay Excellent. with that. Good. Awesome. Well, yeah. you know what that means. Scare of approval. Yes, bitch. Scare of approval. That's Check this right. movie out if you haven't oh seen God. it. Yeah. If you've waited forever, like I have just fucking get to it already. Yeah, it, it's great to add it to the list of good werewolf movies. Uh, yep. I know we've we've talked about this over and over on the show. Is like how many good werewolf movies are there actually, and not that many, <laughs> but this yeah. is one of them. Yep, and again, like fucking this episode talking about my blocks. Like this is one where. You know what? Fucking pull those blocks out of your head and fucking watch things you didn't think you were going to watch and you're going to find that you're going to love them. So Yeah, do it. So, you know, dog soldiers, guys, check it out. Check it out. Do it. Do it for Ethan, friend of the podcast. <laughs> yes, Ethan. Ethan. Thank you for the wreck. And thank you, Jeremy's brother as well. Mm hmm. All right, next we're moving on to Ms. 45, going back to 1981. Mm. And the tagline is, she was abused and violated. It will never happen again. 
<laughs> You're goddamn right. <laughs> and the description is a shy and mute seamstress goes insane after being attacked and raped twice in one day. She wanders the New York streets at night in a sexy black dress with her attacker's gun strapped to her garter belt, blowing away any man who tries to pick her up. I don't like that they called her insane. But anyway, this film is directed by Abel Ferrara. Mm hmm. Uh, indie darling, gritty indie darling, <laughs> Abel Ferrara. Darling. <laughs> uh, this movie was brutal, uh, but it was my kind of brutal. Uh, I had I had a good time watching this. Not to say that, you know, for, for a movie dealing with sexual violence, when you're like, that was great. That can sound weird. <laughs> but, um, no, this this played well. I, I like I didn't know where this movie was going to go. Uh, watching it like I had an idea of it because I'd heard of it and I knew yeah, loosely. your description was like right on you definitely knew what, what yeah it was right about. on it, like I, I've heard of it and read of it speaking in like as they refer to this film as rape revenge much like I spit on your grave or last house on the left uh, movies like that so it's kind of you kind of know what's gonna happen uh, sexual violence will occur and She's going to get revenge. Now, this movie's a little different, though, because a lot of those have revenge being taken out on the perpetrators. Sorry, spoilers, guys. But hers, it doesn't work because she never sees those guys again. She just Well, the one out. guy she kills. Well, yeah, the one. Well, oh, yeah, the second guy she kills. But the first guy, you never see him again. And that we know of. He was wearing a mask, so. That's true. Maybe he was one of them. But then she just kind of <laughs> goes out as a vigilante. This movie, I thought of a couple of ways. I, I was going with your something meets something to describe uh -huh. it. And I thought of a couple that are kind of the same thing, but the first one I was like, this movie is if Taxi Driver was made by Troma. <laughs> like, uh -huh. if it, I was like, Taxi Driver meets like Mother's Day is kind of what this was. Uh, or the other one was, I'm like, if Martin Scorsese directed The Toxic Avenger, we would have ended up with something kind of like this. See, and I go more like Taxi Driver meets Carrie. Oh yeah, yeah, that that's a good one too. Uh, just something, something kind of sleazy from the era exploitation, but take that New York like as epitomized by Martin Scorsese, sleazy New York, crime-ridden New York, and marry it to <laughs> Grindhouse Theater. And you know why I held off on giving this to you for a while? Well, first of all, it's very adjacent. It is definitely not a horror film. No. But it's in Terror in the Isles, which is why I know it. And there's definitely some, like that scene in particular when she's in the bathroom and all of a sudden he's behind her. Like mm -hmm. she's like imagining him. Like that is a scary ass scene. And yeah. I mean, obviously her getting raped twice in a day is absolutely horrifying. But I didn't give it to you because it, you've made some comments about I don't remember exactly, but that you're not a big fan of rape revenge films, which I mean, who is like, I love rape revenge. Yeah, films. exactly. <laughs> but aren't I correct that you've made comments about that genre? Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 a very tricky subject. It is. Uh, it, I, that's that's how I feel about. Like, I'm not even sure how I. Like, I wouldn't say I'm a big fan of I Spit on Your Grave, for example. I've seen it. Uh, a couple of times. I can't say that like it's great and I want to rewatch it. But at the same time, like I've read a lot because I Spit on Your Grave is like has been dissected at countless times by, you know, film critics and analytical, uh, theoretical academics writing about it. So you like, I want to appreciate it more because uh, you have all these great writers and minds looking at it and going into gender politics and all this deep stuff. Uh, but you're like, yeah, but 
we can talk about it all day. And that's one thing like sitting down and watching it. I don't really want to sit through mm-hmm. it. Or another one I can think of is irreversible. That's another Ooh. one where I know where so many people are like those movies. And it's like, it's an okay movie as a movie, but I wouldn't say it's like great, but so many view that as like a masterpiece that. But that scene is just so horrible. Like that's the thing here when she gets assaulted both times, like it's definitely never pleasant, but I don't feel it really goes very exploitative. Like we don't ever even see her naked. Do we No. which I appreciate. Like, I'm glad it doesn't get at all. Like there's not that creepy, I don't know, like something, it's not titillating at all. Not to say irreversible is, but it's very graphic, like extremely graphic. And while this is not pleasant to watch, Mm -hmm. it still doesn't veer into that category of like almost pornographic violence. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So that, that was, so I'm back and forth. I guess my answer to your question is like, I'm back and forth on these kinds of movies. Like it depends on my mood. Often they're not like what I want to seek out and watch. Uh, for fun, you have to be in like a very specific mood. Like even the, while we're talking about it, the closest movie I can compare this to is probably Troma's Mother's Day. Uh, and that's a movie where I feel like if I'm ever going to watch that again, I need a really like specific mood <laughs> and desire to not just throw it on for fun. Not just on um, Mother's Day. Not just on Mother's Day. Um, but yeah, it. I want to backtrack that too. Twice in one day, uh, the mechanics of just thinking like writing the script Abel Ferreira sitting there writing the script (laughs) was he like one time's not enough it should happen (laughs) twice like I want it like what why was that the decision seriously was he like two times is the magic time to make you go insane and start shooting people like what why why the two times is there something to that I don't know but There was a review on Letterboxd I really like by M. Penalosa, who says, Lars von Trier and Jasper No should be made to watch this film on an endless loop until they learn something about basic cinematic decency. Uh, yeah. You know, as we're talking about it, Jasper No and uh, 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 Lars von Trier are a couple of the biggest offenders for where I don't know how I feel about their use of sexual violence because... Uh, uh, they tend to go a little like titillating, a little too yes glossy with it in their work where you're like, are you guys kind of tying into some fantasy more than <laughs> like trying to be right. like, this is a bad thing. So, and this is des- definitely falls into that, like good for her category of films, like Carrie, where you're yeah. like, you go girl, you get your revenge on these assholes. Yeah. And this movie almost made me really mad at her when I thought she killed the dog. But <laughs> yeah, sorry guys, spoilers. But at least at the the last shot is just the dog is alive, Phil is alive, and I'm like, yes, okay, good, everything's fine again. Oh my god, that landlady was the absolute worst. And I know she's supposed to be, but Jesus, what a horrible actress! No, absolutely, that was where it veered towards. I'm like, this is very trauma. Yes, where you have yes. these like non actors playing stuff. Like I'm pretty sure some of these people were just people off the street that he was like, want to be in a movie or like, I kind of know you, be in my movie. And Zoe Lund was so good. And did you read she was only 17 years old when they filmed this? What the fuck? No, I didn't. That's 17. crazy. So crazy. She's captivating and she's incredible. She's, yeah, she's just gorgeous. I think she's gorgeous all the time, but they definitely start to like make her up. It's like a really fucked up she's all that. Like all of a sudden <laughs> she puts on some lipstick and a dress and you're like, oh, hey, pretty. Yeah, and but she's like, she's, I'm, re- I'm ready to kill. 
I, I want I didn't read up much about her, like, but I'm surely she had to have been like a model. Like she's just so yeah. so beautiful. That one guy wanted to make her a model. He really did, yeah. And she wanted to make him Swiss cheese. So that's <laughs> how that went. And her name in it, Thana, is reminiscent of the, the Greek god of death, Thanatos. Thanatos. Is that how you say it? Yep. So I thought that was very interesting. I would have never put that together. Thank you, IMDb Trivia. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Marvel Comics villain Thanos also gets oh. his name is from Thanatos. So. Oh, I think he got it from this, actually. I think Yeah, I maybe that. from Thana. I think they ripped <laughs> off this movie. They referenced Ms. 45. Uh-huh. <laughs> he just has a big gun. That's his weapon. And there are two really great posters for this. One of them has like... It doesn't quite like sum up the movie very well. It's like shot from behind like her like sexy legs and you see like a guy like beyond Mm. her and Mm. she's like aiming like her gun at him. And then the other one is like her face and it's, I don't know which one I'm going to use in our little photo, but there's a couple really cool posters for this. Oh, cool. Yeah, I dig it. And I, I just love her so much. I think that she's really cool. I love that end sequence, that Halloween party mm, is just mm-hmm. like so <laughs> random. And that song that's playing, like, oh just, my like, God, I was it. going crazy, like listening to that. I was like, and this, this sweet, like sax music's just going to keep playing over and over <laughs> and whatever. Like, when does it, it was the same, like, hook over and over. I was like, when is this going to end? And then yeah. that's the end credits music too. It was. Yeah, it just <laughs> kept going. <laughs> it stops for a couple minutes and then all of a sudden it starts off again as the end credits. And I'm like, no. I loved it. I was like, this is a sweet jam. What I did not like is that like, um, I don't know what instrument it was. Was it the saxophone as well? That was like that blaring stinger that kept yeah. happening. Wee, wee. Yeah, I was not a fan of that. Yep. Like I, I don't like jazz and it had at times jazzy music, but it sometimes it sort of sounded like, like giallo music. Yeah. There were sometimes yeah. where the score was sort of similar to that. I also like the scene where she just, she goes under the bridge and then like sh- she gets surrounded by the gang of dudes. Oh my God. That scene is, is classic. But for a second, I'm like, is this the fucking warriors? Like all these guys <laughs> came out with like their weapons and crazy hair. And they're like, yeah, we're going to get her. And then she just kills them. It's shot so beautifully how she's like in the middle of that circle and they like uh-huh. circle around her. But it's like, yeah, what is going on here? Like, it yeah, was, yeah. like it's so weird. Like, what is it? Or the guy that shoots himself. Yeah. He's like, wait, what? And then like, did he it was so odd like it's like does he mean to or is he like there's no gun bullets in here or is he like yeah like it was just so weird yeah it's it, i wonder like is that open to interpretate because like she goes to shoot and then is shocked when it doesn't happen so i'm like right. oh she left the safety on maybe accidentally and then the guy takes it and he like stares at it and i'm like he doesn't turn the safety off or like note that that, that was the problem he just cocks the hammer back and then shoots himself, and you're like, oh, yeah, just okay. some Russian roulette to me. Yeah, and he and he's telling this whole story that sounds like his life's not very great anyway. So maybe he does want to kill himself. I like, or he seems pretty upset about his life. So maybe he just wants yeah. to kill himself. I didn't know how to take that scene. I didn't either. And I love the fashion in it. That sort of like early 80s, mm-hmm. late 70s fashion is just so delightful. I just love New York in this era. Of you do, you like, love I, that gritty New York. I love gritty New York. There's something about it. Yeah, I really I love that. That Halloween sequence reminded me a little bit of the prom sequence and Carrie, like some of like the slow mo and just like the, the lights and stuff. There's just mm-hmm. something about it that sort of reminded me of that. 
And I just, I just loved her. I wonder, like, I don't know if she's foreign. I should have looked into it a little bit more when I found out she was 17. Cause I'm like, does she not speak because she can't speak English? Like, is that a reason to make her mute? Like, yeah. like we want to use this girl, but she doesn't speak very good English. So let's make her mute. Yeah. <laughs> it makes and, sense to me. And then the one time she makes any noise is when she gets stabbed by the phallic knife. Yes. Yeah. There you go. I, and I feel like at the end when she's, she's dressed as a nun, uh, and there's that great shot where she like lures the boss upstairs to kill him. But when she's pulling the gun out of her like thigh holster there, you see the dangling rosary yeah. for a second and the shadow of it. And she's dressed as a nun. And I know that I've read that Abel Ferreira, the director, uh, has self-identified as a Catholic, like in the past, like he said that I am Catholic. So I'm like, there's something here. I think he's trying to say something with this very Catholic imagery and the violence, but I don't know exactly what, but it feels like he's trying to make a statement there. And also that she kills that first guy with an apple, like felt sort of mm. Eve-like to me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So much of this movie... Religious is, symbolism. Yes, there's that. And it's, so much of it is spent with her disposing of one man's body where I'm yeah. like, he just broke into your house. You have a fire escape. You should have just pushed him out over the fire escape. Let him fall on the ground. No one would like, they can't tie him back to you. Yeah. And this is, <laughs> yeah, this is shitty New York at the time. <laughs> like the cops aren't going to care, but I love that she fed him to Phil's a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. She just uh, grind him up through there. But I'm like, there's just so much of this movie, just like constantly. Like, I love when she puts that the one of the body parts in the back of that guy's car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's a fun surprise. And I uh, I had to go grab it off the shelf. I have a book. Um, I actually read it in college originally years ago for a film theory class that I took. Uh, it's called Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Oh, yeah. I think you've referenced it before. Yeah. Gender representation in the modern horror film. Uh, and it says modern. The book was published in like 1992. So if anybody, if you go pick it up, it's a little outdated. And a lot of the like the, you know, descriptions of gender politics and sexuality and stuff is a little it, it little dated terms in there because I was flipping through it again because uh, she writes about Miss 45. Uh, Carol Clover, I think, was the name of the author. She writes a lot about Miss 45 in there. Uh, and it's yeah, about sexual violence. There's, there's a whole chapter about rape revenge movies. And uh, she talks about, I spit on your grave, last house on the left. And this one very extensively in that chapter and actually deliverance. Oh, uh, cause that's like a pig. Yeah. That does fit in there. So she talks about like various movies using, using that concept. Okay. Um, and she, it's interesting too, where she talks about, or rather she calls it the revenge movie. And then that can be broken down into a couple of different things, which you have, uh, movies like this, which is rape revenge, and it has to do with violence of like men on women. You know, that's the axis that the movie twists on is sexual violence between men and women. Usually, I say usually it can change. Uh, and then the other axis, the other revenge movie is something like The Hills Have Eyes uh, or something like that, where it's it's country versus city mm-hmm. or urban A versus wrong rural. Turn. Yeah, urban versus rural, like in the violence between the city and. Uh, a rural environment and it's like mm-hmm. oh fascinating and it really speaks to certain uh anxieties that exist within culture as we know it so interesting yeah so if you really like some heady film theory stuff pick up that book and read some of it uh 
you'll probably look at some of these older movies differently too. Yeah, but this is definitely one if you can track it down, it's worth a watch. It's 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 an hour and 20 minutes. It is short mm-hmm. and it's just it has an interesting style to it. I feel like it's 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 well done and it's it's just kind of slick in a sleazy way. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. This is a a sleazy but slick movie. Yep. And her performance is well worth it. Go absolutely. Zoe Lund. Yeah, absolutely. Were you looking something else up? Yeah, I wanted to make sure I got the name right. Um, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Yep, Carol Carol J. Clover is the name of the author. Uh, and she's an American professor of medieval studies and American film at University of California, Berkeley. Oh. So Zoe Lund was born to a Swedish mother and Romanian father, but she was born in New York City, and she's a composer, musician, and devout political activist. So yeah, but then this here says that at age 19, she gave a stunning performance as Thana. So IMDb is giving me conflicting reports so does she lie about her age someone lied somewhere yeah um and do you know she co-wrote the script for bad lieutenant wow and she has a supporting role as a drug addict in it oh wow and she died at age 37 in 1999 ah oh god yep oh yeah because she was a heroin addict oh wow Uh, yeah that is heartbreaking it says she died from heart failure due to extended cocaine use. Ah, oh, Jesus. How unfortunate. Oh, boy. Well, that will bring it down. Yep. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the, the whole um, point here is don't look up the biographies during these episodes. Yeah, during the episode. We should have come uh, prepared for that. So. <laughs> All right, well, out of five non-kissed bullets, mm. how many out of five do you give Ms. 45? I'm going to give this also a solid four. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Nice. And that's but- another. Scare of approval! DP scare of approval, baby. Uh, wow, we did it. <laughs> a, we got an Eiffel Tower of scares of approval. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's we, hot we did it we did well good work that was a good one and you know what next week is our 40th episode jeremy we've almost been doing this a year it's oh my god that's so crazy that is so crazy and apparently enough of you at least Three or four of you want oh us God. to keep doing it. We so. love you handful of listeners out there. Thank you. You make it worth it. We appreciate you. Please write in scaringasharing at gmail.com. Follow us on the Insta. Send us text. Send us instant messages. Whatever you like. Um, we appreciate you. And if you want to just listen, that's fine too. Yeah. But I mean, interaction's more fun. So. Yeah. And we love taking suggestions of movies. We keep watching the movies that mostly Ethan has suggested to us. <laughs> yeah, like a bunch of bunch in my list. My part of the list now are Ethan recommendations <laughs> that I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about those. So, Yeah, but please um, carry forth with your summer. Be safe. Have fun. Keep sharing scares. Because scaring is sharing. Hell, Paymon. Long live the new flash. Keep watching those fucking horror movies. Bye. <laughs>
This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.